This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Want to save 10% on your next order at dukigbrand.com? Go there now, d-u-k-t-i-g-brand.com, and enter the promo code BROADWATER19. B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout and save 10% on your next order. I have two of their products that I absolutely swear by when I'm planning sessions, taking notes, reflecting on matches. I can't speak highly enough about Dukig Brand and the quality product that they put out there. Dukigbrand.com. Upon checkout, use the promo code broadwater 19, save 10% today. Things are off and running here in season two of the On the Touchline podcast. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you to you, the listener. Um, It has been a incredible journey launching this podcast in December of last year and to see the growth and the support and the messages that I receive on a weekly basis from all of you is uh, incredibly humbling, is one of the hosts of this show. Um, So keep spreading uh, the word in terms of telling people about the show. So there's someone in the soccer community, it could be a fellow coach, it could be a player, it could just be someone who loves the game of soccer and loves talking about the game of soccer. Tell them about the show and encourage them that if they're not in the habit of listening to podcasts, that it is a incredibly valuable professional development tool to have in your arsenal as a coach or someone in the game of soccer. Two, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, it really would mean the world to me that if you go there now, so go to Apple Podcast, type in on the touchline, or if you're subscribed to the show already, just go there. Takes two seconds to leave a five-star review and a brief rating about the show. So tell folks and tell others what you like about the show. And it could be topics, it could be guests, it could be things that we cover within the show itself. So make sure that you tell other people. And last but not least, that if there's something about this show that you really enjoy, it might be something a guest said, or like I said, a topic that we're covering uh, that week, to be sure that you share it out on social media. And when you do that, make sure that you tag myself. Uh, I'm active on Twitter and I'm active on Instagram. And my handle is at soccercoachjb. And we'll be sure to retweet and uh, start a conversation that way. It would mean the absolute world if, if you're able to do one of those three things or all three. In episode eight of the On The Touchline podcast, I talked to our first guest from north of the U.S. border, our first guest from Canada. Maria Procopio is part of the technical uh, staff at Brams United Girls Soccer Club uh, near Toronto. And Brams United is a girls-only soccer club uh, founded in 1978 and really with an emphasis on developing strong female players and developing their confidence and developing um, who they are as young women. 
So uh, within 40 years of operation, the club has won 18 provincial titles along with one national title and over 100 of their players have earned scholarships throughout North America. Uh, Maria has done quite a bit in our game within a short amount of time. She played at a Division II school here in Pennsylvania. She spent some time in Italy and uh, had was actually capped uh, as part of the Italian national team. So she talks about that. She also talks about her commitment to young women and how she is trying to pay it forward uh, of developing the next generation of strong females. So I absolutely love that is the dad of two little girls and uh, jokingly said that um, would love to <laughs> send my girls to Maria someday and have her work with, uh, with them. I hope you enjoy episode eight of the On the Touchline podcast with my guest, Maria Procopio. Well, thank you for uh, being a guest on the on the Touchline podcast. And um, you know, we we've never had a guest outside the United States uh, on this show. And something that I wanted to do in season two was to have guests, um, you know, and give more of perhaps of a of a global view. And I was thinking about this uh, before our conversation that um, you know a, a lot of folks think of Canada and they might think of ice hockey and uh, sort of the significance that hockey's played, uh, you know, obviously in Canada. But in my experience, I think there is a very uh, a sneaky good, I guess is how I would describe it, soccer culture and interest in, in the game of soccer. And so I'm curious about your journey, um, you know, what that has been like, what soccer culture in Canada has been like for you and, and how you've gotten to, uh, to where you are uh, in your coaching journey. Yeah, so um, obviously when everybody thinks about Canada, first thing that comes up is ice hockey. I mean, everybody, I think, is born into skates. It's kind of the same here, and uh, especially where I am. I'm about 25 minutes north of um, Toronto in a city called Vaughan, um, mostly European uh, descent here. So growing up, um, born, you know, with skates on, you know, it was something that was always told to me, but everybody here grew up playing playing soccer. I mean, I started playing when I was three. I have a brother, 10 months, three weeks older than me. Um, and I joined his team and begged my dad to put me on it. And I started playing with him. And here, the community was growing and there wasn't female soccer. Um, there wasn't female soccer until I was about 11. And I played with the boys and it, was, it really shaped me into the player I am. But you know, there wasn't female soccer. There was, I think, one club, and it was, you know, about a 40-minute drive. Um, so it was tough. And then when we started a female league here, um, things just took off. More females started to sign up and get out of other sports. Like, I know swimming was big, hockey was big, but everybody started to play soccer, especially here. You have, you know, a huge Italian population, a huge Portuguese population. So I think soccer was embedded in the culture at schools. Um, so I would play any chance I, I got. It was between ball hockey, hockey, or soccer. I mean, I didn't really stray away from either. Um, and my career kind of took off pretty early. When I was um, 14, I moved, moved to um, Italy and did um, my freshman year, so grade nine in, in Italy. And I ended up um, being fortunate enough to stay there for a year and got called up and identified for the 
U19 um, Italian national team and had a couple caps there. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have those opportunities. Um, and then I kind of came back here, finished high school, and um, the club I'm currently working for was kind of special to me, kind of coming back and working with them because they helped me get my scholarship to Gannon University. And, you know, I was one of 14 Canadian players that went there. So it was a huge attraction for me to go to Gannon and, and play for Colin Peterson and be at that school with all those Canadians that, you know, led the way for me. Um, and kind of when I when I left there, I didn't know what I wanted wanted to do. And a big thing of what I what I was looking for was, you know, what what's next. And I was working at a really good uh, job with Nike here here in Canada, and I was coaching at night, kind of part time. Um, and I kind of just said to myself, Nike's not where I want to be, and I want to move up in the soccer world. So again, I talked to my mom and packed my stuff up and moved myself to London, England. And I ended up staying there a year and a half and went all the way up from, you know, my basic level coaching course to my UEFA. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have those opportunities to stay there. And obviously Canada's home. And I could have went kind of anywhere in my soccer career after that point in my coaching career. But I chose to come uh, come back and try and make a difference here with Canadian players and try and tell them about my my journey and you know just really make an impact for female players especially and male players because like you said the market here I feel is so untapped and players here kind of just falling out of the system at you know 16 17 because they don't know those career paths. I mean, we're just about to launch a Canadian Premier League, a professional league um, here in Canada. We have about eight teams in it. Um, you know, we, our schools are starting to put in more athletic scholarship money. The attraction for American schools are still there with the scholarships they they have um, and playing overseas in Europe because like I said, it all goes back to here being multicultured. Um, there's a lot of people who have that European passport or, or South American that can go and play at um, overseas or play it in a league like that. So I think we're trying to get a better culture here. What's next? That's the question I always ask my players. Hmm. I, I That's really interesting to me that, uh, yeah, I like I said, I, I in a lot of ways, I, I feel like it's a, uh, a sleeping giant and that um, I don't know the the players that I've seen uh, that have come from Canada have been they've been really dynamic. Um, they've been they've been really good. Uh, so I yeah I feel like it you know is a country you know Canada is definitely knocking on the door. Um, I, I want to go back to your youth experience and having the opportunity to get capped for a national team. What was that like? Uh, surreal, I think. I mean. Um... I was just going down there really to have an experience to further, you know, learning about my culture and what it was like to be, you know, an Italian citizen and having that opportunity. I mean, I was just going down there to really get an education and do my freshman freshman year there and kind of, you know, see what it was all about and be an exchange student. And I kind of just started playing, you know, soccer at the, the park and with the local team, kind of like fourth fifth division at the time and you know and then I started getting noticed and people would start picking me up from school and take me to to practice and you know and and you know I started moving up and at the time I spoke you know okay Italian not, not fluent by any means so it was hard for me you know being a foreigner 
there, but um, I got my break. I was playing uh, calcetto, which is futsal in Italy, and uh, I was I was playing in a tournament at um, at the capital where all the um, um, national teams go. So it's just in, in Tuscany, and I was playing there in kind of like a little four v four tournament. And the U nineteen national coach saw me and kind of said to my family, like, "Hey, listen, like, is she willing to stay here and and continue with us?" So capping with them was was nice because um you know i was always i played i played sweeper which is not a position anymore but you know the center back role and you know he's he always said oh no you're a center midfielder you're a center midfield and he put me in that role and i absolutely fell in love with it but um playing for them and you know flying on uh, you know a 20 seater plane to different places to to play other teams was was surreal and you know i I had the opportunity to stay, but I also had the opportunity to come back. So I always say to myself, you know, what would my professional career look like if I were to stay? But, you know, at 14 years old, it was a tough decision to make to come back or not. And, you know, you start to see your family come and you, you start to think, okay, maybe it's time to go home and, and um, you know, think about school and, you know, scholarships and all of that. Um, but definitely playing and putting on that 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 jersey uh, will always be dear to my heart and you know I still keep in touch with the coach um, there he's still kind of doing recruiting um, and looking for players all over and the female game in Europe's growing so having him as a good connection is, is huge for our Canadian players especially here and where I am with you know a huge Italian population and players with mul uh, multiple passports mm -hmm. what were you like as a player um, very vocal. I mean, I I tried to when I played when I played uh, center back. Um, I was more vocal than I was in in um, the center midfield. I was more demanding just because you know the goalie I played with my whole youth career. I played for the same club. Um, once they had female soccer, so I played with the same club and. Um, my goalie and I had a really good relationship, but as a player, I would say my strong suit is I play exactly like Andre Andrea Pirlo. I mean, I don't cover as much distance as you should as a center midfield. I mean, the stats could be, you know, seven to 10 miles a game, you know, where I was covering maybe three to four, but I was making smart runs and smart decisions and my vision. And, you know, I'll, I, I brag about it all the time is, is really at, at the top of the game. Um, I really try when I run sessions to emphasize thinking even before the ball comes to you and making runs that make sense, not runs because you have to. So um, I think the creative part of my game is, is huge and that's what I try to, you know, get through to my players is, you know, be creative, you know, make mistakes and, um, and learn from it. I was uh, I was going to ask you who uh, an influential uh, person you know whether that be player or coach or uh, you know someone may have been in uh, there there was with uh, Andre Pirlo because uh, yeah I mean he was incredible to watch uh, you know uh, when he played so um, there there comes a point in time I think for all of us as, as players where you know we're at that crossroads right that we we want to play for as long as we possibly can but. We also know that you know we have uh, to evolve and change and sort of uh, you know adapt. And uh, why did you want to become a coach? 
I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a very passionate person. So when I meet people, I automatically kind of cling on to them. And I think, you know, Colin, Colin Peterson, I mean, changed, you know, everything for me. I mean, he was a huge influence in my life and still is. I mean, you know, we're really close and uh, he kind of, you know, showed me the way, I mean, his vision was like mine on uh, um, on the field, and I really enjoyed any training session he ever ran. Even though you know you get into college and you're like, oh no, it's 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 fitness time and stuff. But just the way he did things um, was at another level. And I remember coming back from from Gannon and talking to him and and just saying like, Colin, I don't know what I want to do. I know I'm no coaching on the side, but I think I really want to take it. So he was a huge influence as to why I, I kind of wanted to go in and, and pursue coaching. I mean, I played a little bit when I went over and did my UEFA in, in England, but I mean, it, it, like you said, I kind of said, okay, it's either I really focus on my UEFA and my coaching license in England, or I continue playing here at a kind of amateur division two level and I know the game was changing in England and Europe at that time um, in 2014 2015 and I would have had an opportunity to really be a player there but I decided okay let's hang up the boots and let's let's get these uh, coaching qualifications so it's a very tough decision especially making it alone at um, at 20 at 25 by by myself no family and in, in London. I mean, I'm living in the heart of London with, you know, no, no money because the dollar there in, in London's double the Canadian dollar. So, you know, I'm living, living in, you know, a hostel and, you know, just by myself making that decision to hang them up. But it was a huge decision. And, you know, it's, it's really shaped me into the person I am. And I think the one thing I could say about myself is that experience has made me the most humble coach, um, you know, here and and really taking in everything and you know Colin would be one of my coaching idols and um, I think you know like you said it's a tough decision and now playing in like a women's league is isn't the same as when you played you know at, at a pretty at a pretty high level but um, creating the next youth generation to be players like myself or you know heroes in the community or with our national team or other other national teams I mean is what I'm passionate about is trying to play through them. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's, uh, I, I can completely relate to that um, because yeah, there there's a part of me that is very much alive through my players. And I, I don't want listeners to inter interpret that as sort of living vicariously through my players because, you know, I know that my playing days are for the most part in, in the rearview mirror, um, but there's something that keeps the fire burning inside me just to see them succeed and to develop and grow as players. And so I, I'm, I'm curious what age groups you're working with now and uh, male, female, and uh, what that has been like for you as a coach. Yeah, so um, I, I, when I started, when I came back from Gannon, I was just working with um, female players, kind of like the grassroots, like eight to 12 range. I mean, I think that's what every kind of, coach gets into right away they don't really jump into an older team and you know I was working within like a recreational program like a house league and an all-star in between rep and and um non-competitive like a house league in there and then um in England I was fortunate enough to start working with U14 boys Peterborough United at a pretty high level in their academy um you know my uh 
my tutor in England helped me out get, you know, some opportunities to coach boys. And it was the first time, you know, as a female getting a UEFA B and kind of, you know, going in a session and, and boys are looking at you throw down cones and, and get ready to do the session. But they were the best players and so receptive. And I thought, okay, coming home to Canada, it's going to be like that. And I'm a high licensed coach. And then I started getting my U.S. licensing. And I came back here and I got a job with um, an MLS academy here. And it was the complete opposite. Um, you're going into sessions and uh, people are looking at you and saying, oh, you know, are you the PT or oh, are you the manager? You know, when you're the assistant or, you know, you're one of the head coaches. So um, I think um, going into the boys system here was a little bit more challenging, but I, I was um, open to the opportunity. So I mostly stayed with with girls and boys, and now I just took a job about a month ago at an, the um, one of the only remaining female-only clubs in, in Ontario and in Canada, for that matter. But um, we've produced national team players like Kadisha Buchanan, Ashley Lawrence, who have made such an impact. I mean, one of Kadisha Buchanan's first games, I mean, she's covering the, the best striker in the world, Abby Wambach, and she came from our club. So now I'm working with... Um, all the age groups we have from eight to 17. Um, but my main focus and a lot of coaches don't go into this department and I hope I could be an advocate for it is going into a grassroots, like a recreational house league program and really working with the coaches to educate them and to produce players to feed into the rep system because we have a huge pool of players and I wanna try and tap into them to get them into our reps. So kind of, I've been all over from, you know, up to U21, you know, semi-pro men's team to, you know, the grassroots level. Um, and being with females now was a huge decision for me because, you know, as, as every coach knows, you know, coaching male and female players is much different and having a variety for any coaches is, is good. But for me, if I can create good female role models away from soccer and create good humans and good athletes and good role models for the next generation I mean that's where I belong in the female game and you know my club has given me kind of all the freedom to do what I want to create a better culture I'm curious about the uh, you know meeting some resistance when it came to I guess male players and I can't, I, I can't imagine what that was like for you as a coach, uh, you know, for, for folks to have sort of a, a preconceived idea that, like you said, that you were the, you know, the trainer or the physical therapist or, or something like that. And to not think of you as, you know, here, uh, I'm here to run the session or, you know, be a part of the session. And uh, I, I wonder, you know, how you worked through that or what that was like for you. I mean, it wasn't easy. I think coming back here in 2015 and taking that job um, and, you know, taking a couple jobs within the male role. I mean, I thought about leaving coaching altogether after that. And, you know, I have a couple great and just in the past few months meeting phenomenal people who've kind of gotten me back on track to track to kind of fall in love with with coaching again because I think it was a loss for you know half a year and there was always little feelings of doubt am I doing you know everything I can just because I'm a female you know I'm working at a club environment um, a previous club and you know I was the second highest level coach on paper but you know I was with the 
pre-academy boys and girls and you know working with under fours and I was humble for any experience I got but you know when I said hey can I go into the U21 or U18 boy session they kind of said uh, you know uh, no stick stick with the girls stick with the pre-academy that's kind of where we need you and for me it, it's it's tough to hear um, you know and there is and yeah, I just was at a conference this weekend there is you know a huge impact a female um, coach has and the boys respected me beyond belief even the players on, on the field there was more the male uh, coaches in, in the room that didn't you know it was blind copied an email saying oh I don't want her on my bench it shows a bad dynamic on the team or you know I was with the um, academy here you know the MLS academy here in, in Toronto and you know it was called a whiny female coach just for advocating for my boys so it wasn't so much the players it's more the mindset of some of the some of the coaches here and you know and I, I could have left the game and I could have went and done different stuff I thought about going back to school but you know in the past couple months I kind of said okay listen like no matter what people say you, you just gotta you gotta work through it and you, you gotta be resilient so I, I, I really um, give credit to anyone who's, who's helped me out and I've really kind of latched on to a lady here called um, her name's Nancy Spodden and she's a, she's a speaker here and she really talks about you know what makes your heart sing and kind of 11 habits for a coach and she's you know, what makes my heart sing is, is players and having a good culture and being humble. So I, I take that to every session and, you know, now I don't really have those feelings of, you know, walking into a session and, and feeling nervous if it's a male player or a female player. I'm just there to coach and 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 do what I can. Um, so it's a little bit of a, a swagger, if you, if you call it, to have on the pitch to say, like, no matter no matter what, no session's perfect, but I know I can run, you know, a session to develop any player, male or female. So it's it was tough, but, you know, it's um, everything's a learning, learning kind of challenge and a roadblock, but you know, you get through them. You have such a, uh, a fantastic outlook and a fantastic attitude in terms of how you approach your work. Uh, nothing but admiration from my end because, um, you know, with the, the fork in the road, uh, you could have given up. And, uh, there, there could have been that possibility of leaving a game that has been a significant piece of your life, you know, and uh, I, I love that you stuck with it. Um, you know, and, and uh, obviously continuing to, to build on that. Um, I, I think that's probably a good lead in into the, uh, you know, the, the gender balanced leadership. And when we were trading DMs, um, I saw, I think in your Twitter profile, I think the uh, the link took me to uh, a video and I and I watched it yesterday. And um, so tell me about the, uh, changing the changing the game, changing the conversation. Um, I don't know if you call it a project or uh, an initiative uh, of what that's like and sort of, uh, you know, in, in empowering females and um, supporting female coaches and, and folks in the game uh, to, the, to the best that you can. Yeah, so that project um, was taken off. We got a grant through Ontario to kind of um, do this pilot project and I got involved right away. I mean, I kind of heard rumblings that it was going to start and um, you were hearing it kind of in conferences like wait for our uh, website launch, wait for the announcement. And I would check that thing every day because I was willing to put in my name and do it 
um, and give I would have given up anything to be a part of it because I was so passionate about it. I was just coming off, you know, being with that MLS Academy. And I was, I was at the point where I needed to be an advocate and um, you know, you're walking in the room. I mean, on my UEFA B, I was the only female I'm walking into coaching courses. And if there was another female, I mean, you were lucky, but usually there was, there was no one. And it, it wasn't like that just in soccer. It was like that in a lot of sports. And, you know, I'm going into conver uh, conversations and meetings with coaches in different sports and they're all feeling the same way, you know, and we all kind of share the same same um same kind of feelings towards you know going into a coaching course or going into a male dominant uh um, environment and kind of you know feeling like an outsider so when this project launched i got involved right away i was fortunate enough to be asked to speak about the canadian game and you know how do we bridge that gap and i have a couple uh coaches under me that i'm currently mentoring and i would mentor a coach in any sport just to give them that idea that there is a full-time role for coaches if they want to get into it and i mean in the past six months even toronto alone has changed i mean we have a technical director a female technical director here at a local club carmelina moscato play with our national team she's now the technical director of a of a club that has a lot of male and female players and you know she's she's a huge role model as well because she came in and said you know hey listen like let's get this done and she's been you know a part of this project and i think you know what i speak about in the video and changing the game changing the conversation is you know let's get more role models in our in our system even on the male side you know we are hosting you know with the united states and mexico the 2026 world cup we need to produce players and we need to produce not just players who are technically tactically good on the field we need to we need to produce players who are role models for the next generation and we need players to keep filtering through our, our canadian and our ontario and our systems to to um be players so that's kind of what we we talk about in changing the game changing the conversation it's it's taken off i mean we're starting to get recognition um we're starting to do more conferences and just really get our name out there and um you know we have a cause another program who kind of oversees canada and they're a women's organization organization in athletics and they kind of help out as well with being advocates for female coaches and getting female coaches who you know maybe leave the game and go into the workforce and kind of say hey listen why don't you come in and do guest sessions or why don't you come in and be a part-time coach i mean uh, we have a couple coaches that we have in our club that you know played for our club and now they're giving back and that to me, I mean, is everything because, you know, you dedicated, let's say, 15 years of your life to the sport. You know, now do you want to come back and, and give more to our younger players? And a lot of females want to. It's just how to. And that's kind of what we're trying to do at, 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 at that project and really try and, and emphasize that. I'm a, a very big believer that... Um, it, it doesn't matter what someone wants to be in life, right? If they want to be a doctor, if they want to be a lawyer, if they want to whatever, be a teacher, um, that somewhere along the way, they need to witness the behavior and the, you know, the, the word role model that, you know, you were speaking about. And so, uh, you know, is the, is the dad of two little girls, uh, I want my daughters to see strong 
female coaches, right? And they have a great example in their mom, um, you know, my wife, in terms of, uh, of what a strong female looks like. Um, my, my wife didn't play the game. So, you know, as they get older and sort of get more uh, ingrained in the game, I mean, I absolutely love that, Maria, that, um, yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're paying it forward in a lot of ways that, you know, uh, young players that you're coaching can see that, you know, they could be like you someday, right? And it's a, I can tell people, it, it's a heavy burden to sort of wear and to, to carry on your shoulders. And I, I think it's a really great burden to carry because, you know, I think for all of us or for many of us in the coaching game, we're in it to make someone else's life a little bit better, right? We get enjoyment out of that. We want to help people. Um, you know, there's there's other professions that sort of dabble in that. But for us, I mean, it's such a... Uh, no, I, I would call it a high that we get when we see our players succeed on and off the field. And uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love that answer. So I, I hope that continues to grow and uh, we'll have to keep uh, keep the listeners updated as, uh, as that continues to go forward. For sure. Uh, so tell me about uh, NSR and um, how you've worked uh, in your playing days of how you ended up playing collegiately here in the States, but, um, you know, of working with your, you know, Canadian players or, um, you know, players that you're coaching that might be interested in playing collegiately uh, here in the U.S. Yeah, so um, I came back to Canada and right away, you know, we changed the the dynamics of how um, much you could travel here, kind of just the philosophy on, Canada, uh, on Ontario soccer. And I came back and there wasn't really restrictions on how much you could travel to the States or how many showcases you could do when I was playing. And when I moved back here in 2015 from England, um, I moved back and, you know, all of a sudden I'm going through all this training of, you know, some of our kids can't travel within outside of 45 minutes from where their home club is, or you can only do showcases on um, off season, um, which no one's really running showcases unless it's, you know, a South state um, because, it, you know, the snow, the snow's so bad. Um, so I really found a, a gap when I came back of how kids get recruited because for me, Every club did showcases, new coaches, coaches would come up here. Um, you'd meet coaches all the time. Um, you know, you would play an Ontario Cup and there'd be 16, 17 NCAA, Division One, Division Two, NINA scouts in, in attendance. And now they're not coming. So when I came back, I said, you know, I got to get involved in recruiting. And I kind of took a break a little bit from it and um, just to kind of get my feet wet. And, you know, NSR and I kind of, joined up and you know i went down alabama for for my training and you know i heard what they were saying about let's work with kids and let's put student before athlete which is huge i think in in, in especially going and playing ball at, at the collegiate level and i kind of said you know like i'm i'm all over this and i started coming back and speaking to clubs and speaking to whoever i, I could about recruiting and saying even to our male players who are who maybe their mindset is oh i'm gonna go play in europe until i'm telling them you know i'm in england and out of four thousand people who come who come through a third division academy in peterborough one make one makes it and the stats only go up as as the levels go up so you know i'm trying to talk to anyone i could parents you know i'm, I'm putting on seminars for nsr just to kind of get our name out there and get let's get you recruited and let's get you recruited the right way because here 
parents need that education piece on what it's like to be a collegiate athlete in, in the States. I mean, people just, you know, you always hear, hear oh, I want to play at the big Duke or, or University of North Carolina or because that's the only schools they really know. Um, but, you know, I ended up at a Division two school and it was the best decision I ever made because, you know, you, you're more of, let's say, more um, open to kind of, having the opportunity to see field time earlier than you would at a division one school and you have to be the right player for division one and here we do have the players but are we getting in early enough so there's a lot of that goes into the recruiting piece but it's so dear to my heart because i went on a collegiate scholarship and um here you know being with nsr i'm working with you know a lot of athletes and even athletes that don't work with us with NSR. I'm always open to give recruiting advice for a Canadian player because it, it it's a very small percentage goes and plays in, in the States. Everybody assumes oh because they play they could go. It has to be a certain percentage. And here in Canada, we're not at the point yet where we give a lot of athletic money. So a lot of players are drawn to go play in the States. So it's kind of, you know, a, a huge um, project for me is okay if we have the right kid, they have the right grades, let's, let's work with them um, and, and get them to, to where they want. And um, I always say to them, you know, you could be the best athlete on the field, but if I see your report card and it doesn't, you know, show, we can't really, you know, work with you until those grades go up. Because for me, soccer ends and an education is the most important thing. Um, because you, eventually you hang up those boots, but what do you have to fall back on? Mm -hmm. Well, the, uh, the holistic approach, right? That it, uh, you don't put all of your eggs in one basket of if a, a male or female player is, uh, you know, just a, a good athlete or a good soccer player. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love what you said about the percentages of them actually going on and playing at a, a really high level. And they can get, you know, a, a version of that or a experience like that in the collegiate game. Um, you know, I've told others that I love watching – all, all levels actually of the the women's game at the collegiate level. Um, I, I think it's actually very entertaining and, and pretty good soccer to watch. But there are so many opportunities for female athletes, and uh, and like you said, uh, yeah, some are suited for uh, you know uh, the, the Division One game, but a Division Two or Division Three doesn't mean you're any less of a player. Uh, I've seen. I went to a Division Three school here in the states, and um, I've seen some unbelievable Division Three players. So, you know, uh, it's all about finding the right fit of, uh, of where a person sort of fits in, you know, uh, socially. So, uh, you know, switch gears just a, a little bit and um, talking about coaching education. So I, I've never done a UEFA course, but uh, have talked with a number of folks that have and, um, you know, have kind of worked their way up that ladder. And I think you mentioned that you've also done, um, you know, some U.S. soccer uh, education as well. So I, I'm curious as to what those experiences were like and maybe similarities or differences or, you know, pros, cons. Uh, I, I could write a book about the U.S. <laughs> US soccer uh, education, by the way, because uh, I've been a little bit critical of it at times. But uh, yeah, I, what has that experience been like for you? 
I mean, having both, I've just I've just gone through the application process for my USSFB um, now. Um, they just had a window launch, so I went through that. Um, so I did my USSFC in, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, two summers ago, and I would I would say, if I'm just going to compare the two, that there's a lot of similarities that I think U.S. soccer is kind of adapted from the UEFA courses. Um, that that is kind of okay. You know, they're getting they're getting kind of on track as to how we should be training our coaches. I mean, the Canadian licensing system is is now finally taking off here. Um, that's why I didn't go up in in this system. Um, I, that's why I moved myself to England because I knew that was prestigious and it'd be harder to get in and, and kind of move up. But I think, um, you know, going on a UEFA course is is definitely something, if people can, I would highly recommend it. Um, the FA, you know, you have to sacrifice and, and move, so it's not for everyone. I mean, you have to make a huge sacrifice. But, you know, um, there's courses like in Northern Ireland um, where you can apply and, um, you know, Know, it's it's a couple weeks in June and then you go back a year later and I know that's attractive for a lot of North American uh, coaches to kind of go and do um, but it's an eye opening experience to kind of see what it's like and you know I got to do some of my um, observations at Southend um, at Tottenham so I got to see all these professional um, academies and how they ran and you know got to see what a UEFA B coach looked like and kind of the way they did it and they kind of go off four pillars um, you know the technical the social the psychological um, and the physical and kind of tying in how they can get all four pillars in you know their session so you know which is which is huge to break down and uh, you think about it you need a physical component you need a technical tactical component you need a social and you need a psychological so tying all of those in in one session you know being assessed by you know a guy like for me ian hart um who you know is a huge role model for me you know played at a high level him watching my session is always you know it was nerve-wracking but you know us um someone like that i mean if, if if i would give advice to any coach if they have the opportunity to go and do their uefa definitely do it the u.s system you know i can't really speak on so much um because i'm just starting into it i see where they're going with it you know it's definitely definitely a, um you know has its pros and cons just like the uefa does just like the canadian system does but i think we need to be more receptive to coaches coming in from different backgrounds and this is goes for any coaching assessor out there and really work with them you know off the field because you do these courses and it's all on field you know eight hours a day for a week but you know not being able to open up and really talk to your to your educator off off away from that that kind of environment is something i think every system here and every coaching course is missing like so many times on my uefa going away from you know the classroom sessions i wanted to message my mentor or my my assessor and say hey listen like what do you think about this but no one really invites you to do that so i think that's the bridge we have to 
to cross together as a federation and as um, you know someone taking their coaching license to say there needs to be more hours for a coaching assessor to have that a, a, a mentor you know or, or a mentee can come in and, and and talk to them away like you and I are talking and kind of just talk shop and and talk about session ideas because that will only make us better and speed up the process because so many people here you know like your US license you have to wait a year um, or your UEFA you have to wait uh, sometimes they tell you off your level too okay wait eight months wait one year wait six months I was fortunate enough my level two they told me to go on my UEFA right away I was one of the only ones in the class in my class to have that opportunity but I mean having those opportunities to speak one-on-one -on -one with with your assessor I think all across every coaching course needs to be upgraded Mm -hmm. Well, I, I agree with what you said that, um, you know, treating it more as like a collaborative uh, type of relationship where, it, yes, you have to sort of meet a certain standard to pass the course or to move to the next, uh, you know, licensing level. But like you said, making it more about the relationship and about the dialogue. And, uh, you know, I, I had a person in course, I, I mean, they, they paid lip service to it in terms of saying, uh, you know, hey, I'm always here to support you, you know, that sort of thing. So they, they were saying the right thing. The challenge is, is that, um, you know, kind of making making good on that and that, you know, words and actions sort of matching up with one another. And um, I, I, I love what you said there, Maria, because I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And if we're all in this together, so whether you'd be in Canada or here in the States, we all want to be better coaches, right? I mean, we're not... <laughs> no one set sail on this coaching journey to be like, I, I want to be a, a worse coach than I was a year ago. Exactly. So, yeah. why, why can't we lift each other up? And uh, you know, whether it be through conversations or, like you said, messaging a mentor, or, you know, hey, what do you think about this idea? Or, I mean, whatever it might be, um, just having that support system is, uh, is incredibly important. And I feel like for us as coaches, that finding that support system is very much uh, up to each of us, right? It's kind of our own, you know, like choose your own adventure type of book that I would read in like elementary school or something. And like, you know, but some, some, some do a really good job of that and others do a poor job of finding those people that they can get matched up with and, you know, people that can actually support them. So I'm making any sense there, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so where do you see it all going uh, for you as a coach? Uh, what would be you know, maybe a long-term goal uh, that you might have? Uh, this is a good question. I was asked it yesterday. Um, I think it, obviously the attraction of going and, and coaching at the collegiate level was always there for me. Um, I think in time, if that opportunity, wherever to happen, if it happens, it happens. But uh, for me, is 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 starting here, and you know, I found a club where they kind of say to me, "Do do what you need to do," and they give me freedom. And it was, it's the first time ever in my, you know, I would say professional coaching coaching career because I look at it as as if it's my full time job, so it's a profession um, since 2012, where I really, you know really harvested that feeling to say okay listen they're giving me freedom let's make a difference so i think i found the right fit in in my club and and now it's just let's let's produce human beings and 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 better role models in society and and think about football and soccer second 
let's really focus on you know making young girls and you know our, our teenage athletes be better role models because um soccer does end and 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 that's a reality but what do you take from soccer into the workplace into social settings into family life so um that's kind of where i want to be i want to be a cha game changer in the canadian women's game um even if it's a small time role maybe it's not with our national program maybe this is where i am needed right now and i've totally embraced that role and my clubs embrace that role within me um so if other opportunities were to happen down the line definitely um you know it could change my mind but right now this is where i want to be and uh you know i could see myself making a difference for five ten years here and um really getting our our kids our kids on um on the pathway to success and you know and come back into the game and uh help out the next generation well uh if i pack up my girls and uh, ship them up to canada uh there you, sure you go take, make sure you take good care of them right yeah for <laughs> sure they're more than welcome <laughs> I, I'm sure as they get older, so so they're young. They uh, they haven't started their uh, footballing journey yet, but uh, I'm sure they're going to follow their big brother's footsteps, and uh, someday, yeah. uh, you know, we'll follow. But I, uh, you know, people have asked me about this podcast, and um, you know, part of it, yes, uh, I have my own personal interest of connecting with coaches and uh, just growing my network, and and also introducing you to people that may not know your work. You know, and I think you have a really fascinating backstory, but it's also, I mean, in a selfish way, sort of for my kids, because I want them to get to a place and, uh, you know, to understand that, you know, you can reach out to some of these folks that um, I've had on the show and that they're willing to give their time because there is this sort of gene in their body of, you know, I, I, I want to help people and I want to uh, empower people to be the best version of themselves, you know, on and off the field. So I, I think that's really fantastic. So uh, a, a question that I asked, uh, what I've asked every guest that's been on from the United States, so I'm going to tailor this question just slightly differently. So what are you doing right and what is Canada doing wrong when it comes to soccer or football? Oh, good one. Um, I think uh, this course, we went on uh, Ontario Soccer Summit this weekend, so it's really opened my eyes to what we're doing um, in our national program because it was always a big secret. And, you know, Canada <laughs> hasn't qualified on the men's side for the World Cup um, once, you know, and we haven't been on a stage. I mean, CONCACAF, we haven't been able to get out. So I think what we're doing right here is – um, I think we've always had a great, great female structure and system is to identifying players, you know, getting them onto the na uh, national stage. I don't think it's perfect, but we are, you know, top 10 in, in the in the world in, in female soccer. And, you know, some of the players I see here and in the States, you know, are, are amazing athletes. And, you know, obviously, everything can be fixed but definitely that is a strong suit here is our female kind of pathway i think it, it it's definitely you know with people like me coming in carmelina moscato as a technical director here um play for our national team that always is a a good pathway for for us but it needs to get better and i think getting more 
opportunities for scholarships or, you know, getting into coaching definitely needs to improve. But I think what's wrong with Canada soccer is until this weekend, none of us really knew the pathway for our male players and no one knew how to get into our pathway. And, you know, it couldn't be just through our three MLS academies. Like if that was the case, you know, we're missing out on hundreds of thousands of athletes. And, you know, hearing John Herman speak as our guest note speaker, the men's national coach, he left the female game and, you know, he got so much backlash and, you know, people saying, oh, why are you leaving the females for males? But for him, he's like me. He wants to change Canada soccer and me, I'm going to change a small percentage. He's going to change a huge percentage, but we didn't know any of us as coaches how to get into the Canadian national men's program and how to identify players. I mean, I work with boys and, and kids who are playing on scholarships or playing overseas who don't know how to come back and, and put on the badge and represent their country. So now we have an opportunity in 2026 to be in the World Cup. We're hosting it. So we need players who are 14 years old now or 13 or 12 in, in, in 2026 who are going to be part of this 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 um, FIFA World Cup um, team. So we didn't know, and that was a huge gap, and everyone was always saying that's wrong with Canadian soccer. And until this weekend, I would have totally agree with them, but now we have a pathway of how to get our kids in, and I hope it sticks because, you know, everything – is, is all talk until it's shown. So, you know, I'm really hoping this takes off and they get into little communities and little clubs and that we can, you know, send an email and say, hey, listen, I got a boy and someone will come out and look at him um, and really try and find that athletes because you look at some of the American, you know, look at, um, uh, uh, he just, I just dropped a blank there from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, uh, Christian Pulisic. Look, look at his story. I mean, we can find players like that here. I mean, you know, he's from Hershey, Pennsylvania. I mean, no one knows what Hershey, Pennsylvania is unless you're, you know, you're um, you're more uh, north of uh, of the states, or you know, no Canadian knew what that was. I did, but not a lot of Canadians know know what that is. And you know, look what what stage he's been put on. And he didn't really play at a high, high level. He was just identified and 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 um, now is representing in the badge. So that was the problem here in 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 Canada. And I'm hoping that actions are going to uh, speak and we're going to really find athletes because we need to at least compete and 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 people to say, wow, Canada men's national team has has a good pathway. So. I'm, I'm hoping that sticks, but that's still what's wrong here. And hopefully I'm praying it, it all changes. Absolutely love your, uh, your passion for the game, Maria. And um, I'm uh, so grateful that we've been able to connect and, um, you know, we started following each other on social media and uh, you know, it's funny how that makes the world a, a whole lot smaller uh, these days. So um, tell the folks listening to this of uh, how they can connect with you and, and follow along in, in your coaching journey. Yeah, so I, I realize uh, social media is such a big influence, especially with the with the uh, younger kids and especially a good way to connect coaches. Like, you know, that's why we're sitting here today is just because, you know, we followed each other on, uh, on Instagram and I think it's important for coaches to connect and, and, and share. And I don't know if you guys have this problem down in, in the States, but you know, we have clubs that are neighboring and don't want to share ideas or want to share philosophies yeah. or don't want to share players. 
and you know you have this hesitation of you're no, you're knocking on the coach's door and saying hey like how did you how do you run your sessions they're like no no that's only for my my staff in my academy or my club and i think the more we can share information collectively not just here in canada or in the states or you know clubs that are two miles away or 700 feet how can we start to connect everybody with session ideas with recruiting tips or you know just best practices so i would say for anyone listening you know follow me on my my social media handle i'm really big on instagram and twitter now and i'm just trying to connect good people that want to learn and want to get out of just their environment and and, and just be able to collect and, and collaborate and you know share ideas and, and meetings and um just just talk shop like you and i are doing you know because that's the best way we're all going to grow and and we're here for the players we're not here for you know our, our ourselves in in a way we're here for the players that we're that we're working with that's why we're in this profession so let's just just collaborate and, and connect on anything like um so i it's always been my my dream to start like a whatsapp um group with whoever wants to join so i want to launch that um in a couple weeks and just just talk every day about you know a champions league whatever like all the talk is on on twitter about you know the big game yesterday real madrid versus ajax but no one's really talking about you know the tactical or technical side of why it broke down for real madrid but if we can get in a group and talk about that, then you know that's great. So definitely, um, Instagram and 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 uh, Twitter um, are the best place to follow me and by email. Um, I share my sessions with coaches who who want them, and I hope they share them with me. Even from a volunteer coach all the way to a professional, I hope we can all um, we can all grow. I wish uh, more and more coaches had that mentality, Maria. Um, yeah. I, I've experienced the same thing uh, that you identified that, um, you know, uh, we have a number of clubs that, uh, yeah, on the field, we compete against each other for sure. But there isn't this, uh, you know, it, it becomes a, a turf war and it becomes, you know, those are my players, those are your players. But yet, you know, uh, the, these two path, paths shall not cross. And, uh I, it amazes me because, you know, you, you put 100 coaches in a room, I would say 99, if not 100 of them are all going to say, well, we do it for our players. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why don't we start with that common idea and kind of work backwards and take out, you know, yeah, I have a lot of uh, pride in the club that I represent, and you probably have a lot of pride in the club that you represent, but in the end, we're all better because all the Man, I, I, I think that is one of the things holding us back. Um, you know, so if, it, if it's going on in Canada, you know, in, in Toronto, it, I mean, it goes on in the Pittsburgh area for sure. And I can only imagine it goes on, you know, throughout the rest of North America as well. And uh, yeah, it just needs to be, I think, more collaborative. And so that tells me it needs to be more player centric versus coach centric. And, um, you know, the, the moment that I knew as a coach when it wasn't about me is when it really started to click, right? It's about, it's about the damn players. I mean, and that I am there to facilitate and put them in the best possible situation as possible. And, uh, you know, my, my role is, it's not about me. Uh, you know, I, I'm just the, the vessel. Uh, so yeah, I could, I could go, I could get on my soapbox sometimes and uh, <laughs> go on about that. So. I know. 
That's well, another uh, podcast for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I would love to have you back on sometime and uh, maybe sure. we do a, a deep dive on, uh, you know, a very specific topic or an area of the game or just even an update on uh, some of the projects you got going on. And I hope things work out with the uh, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation B in that uh, you're able to, uh, to continue to move up and, you know, uh, gain badges that way. And I, I think that's fantastic. So. Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, you know, let's let's try and keep the conversation open with with anyone who's who listens. And uh, you know, let's bridge that gap that it needs to happen for this generation coming through. Yeah, love that. So, uh, Maria, thank you so much for uh, coming on the latest episode of uh, on the Touchline podcast. And uh, wish you nothing but success. All right. Cheers. Yeah. You too. Okay. We'll keep in touch. Want to save 10% on your next order from duketigbrand.com? Go there now, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout, and save 10% on your next order. So it is important as a coach that you have the right equipment to do your job. You might worry about soccer balls, you might worry about cones, pennies, goalkeeping equipment, etc. However, where do you put all your notes and all your thoughts in one place? I use the Dukig brand XL and their 2.0 planner on a weekly basis. And I can't recommend their product enough. Dukigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And upon checkout, use the promo code Broadwater19. Shout out to Maria Procopio for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Maria, absolutely love the work that you're doing with young women and young girls. Keep empowering them uh, in Canada and throughout North America. I really believe in what you're doing and think you're destined for, for great things uh, in the future. If you like this podcast, please be sure to do one of the three things I mentioned earlier in the show. So tell a friend, go and leave a five-star rating or review, or share the show out on social media. And as I mentioned before, my handle is at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram. I would love to connect with you that way. Coming this weekend, you will get a bonus episode of the show uh, available on Saturday. And I actually sat down with Ben and Randy Waldrum at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Randy is the head women's coach there, and Ben, his son, is one of the assistant coaches. So I really think you'll enjoy that episode, a father-son uh, sort of aspirational journey that uh, I've absolutely loved what they've been able to do at Pitt. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Catch you guys in your feed very soon. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. <laughs>